0: Every episode of this podcast is about true things that have happened at some point or another on this planet. Each episode is different than the next, and they are each centered around stories that are odd, outlandish, or of the occult. This podcast will include foul language. This podcast may also include themes of graphic content, such as murder, rape, or gore. Listener's discretion is advised. Hello, and welcome to Seven Circles. I am Autumn and this is... Cecil. Do you mean Cecil?
1: No, I definitely mean Cecil. Or Graham. Graham? No. Graham. 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 Anyway, it's fine. It's just me. Dan. Or should I say, Dan.
0: Dan. (laughs) Okay. Anywho. We have a really fun episode for you all. Here is your one and only warning. This episode contains a whole bunch of suicides and murders that span the course of like 100 or so years at one location. This location is 640 South Main Street, Los Angeles, California. Do you know what that address is? Dan?
1: Is it the Cecil Hotel?
0: It is the Cecil Hotel.
1: Cecil. It's It's Cecil.
0: So he's British and he's going to say Cecil throughout the whole episode. And I am very American. So I will be saying Cecil.
1: Wrong. You'll be saying it wrong.
0: I will be saying it American. Wrong. (laughs) If you guys have been listening, then you know that I love a story about a house or a building or just a spot in the world that seems absolutely tragic, cursed, haunted, or maybe... For you non-believers of spooky things, maybe these places just coincidentally happen to be a mere location where a tragedy strikes more often than in other spots on this planet.
1: Or maybe it's a hellmouth.
0: Maybe it's a hellmouth! Hellmouth! Tell us at the end. Let us know what you think about the Cecil Hotel and its dark history.
1: Would it sound so dark if you pronounced it properly, though?
0: The Cecil Hotel.
1: Doesn't sound quite so scary, does it really?
0: No. Let's get into it. The Cecil Hotel was built in 1924 by three guys called William Banks Hanner, Charles L. Dix, and Robert H. Shops. That's Dix. That's D I X. Charles L.
1: Dix. Dix.
0: It was to be a prime destination for both business travelers and tourists. The hotel cost $1.5 million to complete. That's about $25 million in today's monies. The hotel was designed by a guy called Lloyd Lester Smith in the bow art style. For those of you who know nothing about design, like us, we will give you an idea of what the bow art style is real quick. So this style incorporates a lot of old-timey Roman and Renaissance features.
1: Well, for people who know nothing of design, that definitely clarifies it, Autumn.
0: Well, like lots of columns and statues and busts and shit like that.
1: Busts? (laughs) I like busts. Uh, Anywho, carry on.
0: The lobby of the hotel featured this style, as well as some art deco lighting and things and such, decorations and furnishings that were both fancy and modern at the same time. Google the lobby. It's stunning. I have no more words. Just have a look at it.
1: Well, you conjured the image so well, I don't need to Google it. I am completely certain that what I see in my mind's eye is exactly how it looks.
0: Well, that's excellent. And the Ciso Hotel flourished until the 1940s when America fell into the Great Depression... We are currently on our way to Great Depression Part 2, some would say.
1: Haven't we had more since? Wasn't Black Friday named after an economic crash of the stock markets and that kind of jazz?
0: Uh, are you talking about the, the 1980s stock market crash?
1: Yeah, I, just, I don't know. I just feel like there have been other depressions since the Great Depression.
0: Well, there's, there's not been a Great Depression Part 2 yet. It's just been little mini-depressions.
1: Oh, I see, like a full-on sequel. Yeah. Like a comedy sequel. Yeah. Gotcha, okay.
0: As the hotel went from a prominent California hotel into utter despondency, so did the whole ass neighborhood around the hotel. The entire area became a mecca for darkness and despair. Wow, I'm saying that in a really chipper voice.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's a little racist <laughs> as well, don't you think? No. Oh, that's not how you meant that? No. Oh, I apologize.
0: They even started to call the neighborhood Skid Row. Have you heard of it? Yes. No, no, Jimmy. We are not talking about the late 80s, early 90s hit glam band with such chart-topping hits as 18 in Life and I Will Remember
1: You. We're not? Damn it. But wait, besides the band named after the hood, you said that like Skid Row means something. Can you enlighten me? Is that an Americanism I'm unfamiliar with?
0: Ah, you've never heard of Skid Row, eh?
1: Yeah, I have, yeah, but you said it became called Skid Row, like, like there was a reason for it or places like that being called Skid Row.
0: Well, actually, the internet says that Skid Row originated from Skid Road, which was a forest track over which logs were dragged to get to either water for transport or the mill, By 1915, Skid Road had come to be used to indicate a street or area of cheap shops and resorts, a relatively disreputable district.
1: Oh, well thank you for clarifying.
0: We are talking about a neighbourhood of about 50 square blocks that currently has about 5,000 residents living on the streets. From as early as 1930, Skid Row has been a popular destination for transients.
1: Square blocks? In America? No. It's full of roundabouts, though, I'll bet.
0: Probably not so much the roundabouts. Every time one gets installed somewhere, people just, like, go crazy and don't know how to, like, understand how to roundabout in America.
1: I can tell that you really hate the roundabouts. No, Holy shit. no,
0: I love roundabouts. I hate other people's inability to use the roundabouts.
1: I see, I see. So what you're saying is, You would like there to be more roundabouts in Skid Row.
0: Well, not in Skid Row. Okay. Not in Skid Row.
1: Why not? I mean, that's a lot of hobos, right? So that would give them a really good place to sleep at night.
0: There's not a lot of traffic because of all the people that live on the streets.
1: Oh, they don't even have a car to sleep in?
0: Mostly they don't, no.
1: Poor hobos.
0: (laughs) Poor hobos. Yeah, poor hobos. It
1: sucks. Oh, they're actually poor as well. They're not just on the street for the fun of it. (laughs) No.
0: Okay, let's get back on track here. Over the decades, police have tried multiple times to raid the area and disperse the homeless population. This only ever ended up in people being arrested, only to later be released and they would just return to Skid Row.
1: It's the row, Autumn. God, you're so not down. I thought you were straight, man. I thought you were a straight-up G.
0: Um, I've never been to Skid Row, so I wouldn't know the lingo, man. Oh, my bad. Yeah. Jeez. In the 1970s, homeless kitchens and halfway houses started to take over a lot of the older buildings that were once cheap restaurants and movie theaters. In 2005, it was discovered that local hospitals were dumping their homeless patients there on Skid Row
1: wow nice
0: yeah skid row is a combination of war vets people who struggle with mental health and or drug addiction and just people who have checked out of society a lot of residents of skid row like living there because of the number of resources provided to them and the resources are all bunched together which makes it easy if you are homeless without a
1: vehicle i still feel like they could do with some roundabouts man
0: the missions all have public restrooms, as do the city parks that are located within the neighbourhood. Despite the access to public restrooms, however, there is a lot of poop on the sidewalks of Skid Row.
1: Ah, oh, just like Ilford on the outskirts of London. Man, I once worked for a company whose HQ was in Ilford. I say HQ, like they had any other offices. Anyway, Ilford is a fucking hole, and there was an alleyway we'd go through to get lunch sometimes. And there were what invariably were human sized shits all along it. Any doubt that they were human was dispelled on more than one occasion. Just squatting there, dropping a massive deuce with less shame on their face than a dog who's meant to shit publicly. Anyway, I digress.
0: I mean, toilets were not always a thing, so people were just running around pooping wherever they wanted to at some point, right?
1: Yeah. Society has moved on somewhat since those times.
0: Yeah, you're right.
1: And as you said, they have ample toilets, so why shit on the street?
0: Because it's easier.
1: I mean, I guess when you got a heroin shit, you got a heroin shit, right?
0: (laughs) Alright, so back to Skid Row. Lots of human fecal matter, and also a lot of garbage. If you find yourself walking down the street in this neighborhood, be aware of your surroundings. Be vigilant. If you hear loud noises or people shouting, pay attention. If it's all of the sudden quiet on Skid Row, really pay attention.
1: Yeah, all the hobos might be taking a shit at exactly the same time. The perfect storm. (laughs)
0: Like, what is it? A flash mob?
1: (laughs) (laughs) flash shit.
0: (laughs) And I am telling you this because if you are curious about the Cecil Hotel and want to stay in it for a night or two... You will have to traverse the streets of Skid Row in order to do so, because the Cecil Hotel stands in the middle of all of it.
1: Yes, pack an extra pair of shoes, because you probably can't dodge all the turds. So, in 2011, the Cecil Hotel was rebranded as Stay on Main, but the official website is thececilhotel.com. So, at that point in the research, we were like, well, how much does it cost to book a room for a week? We went to the website to try and book a room... We tried for the next month. No rooms available. We tried to book a room for October. No rooms available. We tried to book a room for June of next year. Guess what? No rooms available. And we tried two and three years from now. No freaking rooms available. Interesting.
0: So it was at this point I discovered that in 2021, the hotel closed to the general public and is now deemed to be affordable housing available to people in the area. So you can't even get a room there anymore unless you are a resident of California. Lame. And maybe update your website.
1: Yeah, you tardy bastards. And yeah, I think renovations started in 2017 but were halted due to COVID. Then rather than reopening as a hotel again, it became the aforementioned affordable housing.
0: But that is probably for the best. And here is why. This whole ass area is cursed. One might say it's haunted. It's sitting on some kind of burial ground, perhaps? They're here. Go to the light, Caroline. Maybe this is why the humans that suffer the most have been drawn to the area since the 1930s. Are you ready to learn about all of the deaths that have happened at the Hotel Cecil?
1: Ready as a cheerleader on prom night? (laughs) Ha! I said it again, Autumn. Autumn, I said it again. Did you hear me, Autumn? Autumn, I said it again. Cheerleader, I'm prom night.
0: <laughs> okay, cool. Let's go. The first documented suicide at the Cecil occurred on the evening of January twenty second, 1927, when Percy Ormond Cook, aged 52, shot himself in the head while in his hotel room after failing to reconcile with his wife and child.
1: Ah, she was probably a fucking dick anyway.
0: <laughs> Why would you say that?
1: Comedic value.
0: Okay. He left a suicide note addressed to the press. In the note, Cook says that he had spent $40,000 in six months in order to buy happiness.
1: Hookers and blow. Hookers and blow. Everybody loves hookers and blow.
0: What was the equivalent to hookers and blow in
1: 1927? Oh, um, I don't know. The devil's lettuce and ladies of the night.
0: (laughs) Should we Google it real quick?
1: I mean, I'm pretty sure it was just hookers and blow, Autumn.
0: Okay, they just called it hookers and blow? They they had blow back then? Was cocaine invented in 1927?
1: I suspect so. I mean, it was in Coca-Cola, for example.
0: Yeah, dude. I would love some fucking Coca-Cola with a little bit of cocaine in it. That'd be so great. Just buy it right off the shelf. Those are some good times.
1: I mean, you could always just put your own in it. Do you think if you just, like, dumped some cocaine in your glass of Coke that, like, you would just lose all the fizz?
0: I don't know. So, yeah, $40,000 in 1927 is equivalent to six hundred and seventy one million nine
1: hundred and forty four. <laughs> it's not, though, is it, Autumn? What? Well, in 1927 is equivalent to $671,944.83, to be really exact, in today's money.
0: Numbers are hard. So, what were you even talking about? Percy Cook. Oh yeah, the guy who shot himself in the head. So, Percy Cook was a real estate dealer from Providence, Rhode Island. His wife and son had left him, and he brooded over his loneliness until he decided that the only way to escape was suicide. He was in the hotel for a whole week, working up the courage to fire the shot.
1: The next reported death occurred in 1931 when a guest, W.K. Norton, died in his room after taking poison capsules. A maid found Norton dead in his hotel room and, upon investigation, figured out that he was a man reported missing from Manhattan Beach, California, a week prior. Norton had checked into the Cecil Hotel under the alias of James Willies of Chicago. James
0: Willies! Willies! September 1932, Benjamin Dodditch, 25, shot himself in his hotel room. He left no note. He had only checked into the hotel a few hours before the suicide. He was found by one of the hotel maids, a Miss Carrie Brown. Listen, I would not want to be a maid at this hotel. Your chances of finding a corpse are so, so high. July 1934, Sergeant Louis D. Borden 53, cut his throat in his room. He left a series of notes to explain his death. One of his reasons was poor health. So Sergeant Borden was retired from the Army Medical Corps. He left a series of farewell notes behind for his loved ones. One of the notes was his will, simply stating that a woman in Washington called Esna Hasner would be the sole beneficiary of what little that I leave who cuts their own neck that's so fucked up like suicide is sad and fucked up already but when you hear like about somebody doing something so extreme oh how did he kill himself oh he fucking cut his own neck bro
1: Or maybe it just went wrong you know like when people try to blow their own brains out and they just blow off their jaw or get the side of their head yeah Maybe this fool was a case of attempted self-decapitation. And he's just sitting there hacking away and halfway through he's like, fuck, I chose (laughs) Paulie.
0: Holy shit, man. I wonder if anybody has actually tried to do that. How did he kill himself? Ah, he, uh, he cut his own head off. That's what he did. Jesus. March, 1937. Grace E. Magro fell from a ninth-story window Her fall was broken by telephone wires, but she later died in the hospital. She was only 25 years old. Her companion, 26-year-old M.W. Madison, a sailor on the USS Virginia, was allegedly sleeping when she fell. And somehow, the manager of the hotel, J.B. Reed Jr., was able to corroborate Madison's story. What in the actual fuck went on here? Why would the hotel manager know if M.W. was sleeping or not? This case is some bullshit. M.W. probably paid the manager a nice stack of hush money to cover up this very obvious murder. But what do we know? We are not 1937 detectives.
1: Or, since he was in the Navy, maybe you just gave the manager a good nosh to stay quiet.
0: A good nosh?
1: A good nosh.
0: The fuck is a nosh?
1: A nosh. On -hmm. the penis. Oh, January 1938, Roy Thompson, 35, jumped from the top floor of the Cecil Hotel and was found on the skylight of a neighbouring building, which I personally find incredibly comedic. Roy was a marine fireman and had left no suicide note. Roy had been staying at the hotel for several weeks. It was deemed a suicide, but Detective Lieutenants Clark and Hill of the Homicide Squad had notified Thompson's next of kin, his brother, W.E. Thompson, who lived in Texas. So Homicide was on this one and suspected foul play, but I wonder at what point they decided it was a suicide. My guess is at the point they realised a murderer might have made sure the dude hit the ground and not the building next door.
0: Yeah, right? May 1939. Irwin C. Neblet.
1: <laughs> Neblett.
0: It's a good name. 39 was a Navy officer who was found in his room after ingesting poison. Irwin sailed on the USS Wright. He was found unconscious by a Cecil Hotel maid who called the police. Irwin died shortly after their arrival. January 1940, teacher Dorothy Seeger, 45, ingested poison whilst in this hotel.
1: Okay, so what's with all this poison? Do they just mean they poisoned themselves, like with drugs, like they OD'd? Or they literally used actual poison, like cyanide or something? Or... Skid Row wasn't available, so 80s glam metal band Poison showed up and offed all these people.
0: (laughs) They found the time machine, (laughs) and that's what they did.
1: (laughs) Oh wait, yeah, shit, yeah, it's still 1939. (laughs) Oh, my bad. Okay, and what's with all the military and navy folks at this place? If a ship docks somewhere, the dudes still stay on it, right? Sounds like they were off to secure themselves some Skid Row (laughs) hoes.
0: Skid Row (laughs) hoes. Yeah, um, usually when uh, Navy officers and stuff dock for the night, they go to land so they can, you know, get some skid row hose. Skid hose. To summarize, from 1927 to 1940, we have three suicides by poison, two suicides by gunshot, one knife slash to the neck, and two jumpers. Note that there may have been more deaths than this. This was all the info that I could find, and it's a lot. But wait, there's more. September 1944. Dorothy Jean Purcell, 19, was tried and later acquitted of murder. Murder.
1: <laughs> Why do you keep saying murder like that? I don't
0: know, I love it. Uh, she was staying at the Cecil with her 38-year-old boyfriend. At 3 a.m. she had got into labor. Unaware that she was pregnant and not wanting to wake her partner, she gave birth in the bathroom. Believing the child was dead, she threw the newborn 13 stories out of the window. Purcell was charged with murder, but after three psych evaluations labeling her mentally confused, she was found not guilty by reason of insanity. I mean, what do you do with a dead baby? Do you A, throw it out the window, B, down the garbage chute, C, toss it into the ocean, or hear me out. D. Just take it to the hospital and let them deal with it. There must have been something really mental going on with poor Dorothy here.
1: No, no. Hear me out. There is always option E. Flush it down the toilet and into the sewers, where it can join its brethren and form an army of unwanted fetuses and babies astride their alligator steeds.
0: Huzzah! That was
1: a good book, wasn't it? That was good. Gosh, that was a good book. Seriously, though, this sounds pretty standard, man. If she was a hooker... Sometimes known as sex workers, you're fucked if your pimp finds out you plopped out a baby. So if the pimp was sleeping, best to just yeet that little fucker right out the window.
0: Yeet. <laughs> November, 1947. Robert Smith, 35, from Long Beach, California, jumped from a window on the seventh story of the hotel that's all the information we have about that one sorry guys super interesting oh no but another suicide out the window (laughs) (sighs) (sighs) okay so this one is not a death or a murder but it's worth noting 1947 elizabeth short dubbed the black dahlia in the media was rumored to have been seen drinking at the cecil's bar in the days before her notorious and unsolved murder So this is from an official Daily Police bulletin released on Tuesday, January 21st, 1947. It was released after her body was found, and here is some of what it says. Get ready to jump into official 1947 police fucking bulletin garbage. Ready? First, I want to describe what the Black Dahlia looked like, okay? Elizabeth Short was stunning. She had all of this black curly hair and this fair complexion, a perfect nose and beautiful eyes.
1: I mean, she kind of looked like a man, Autumn. You think so? She was not my type. Oh. And beautiful eyes, I mean, they were tiny little beady piggy eyes. They were
0: beautiful hazel eyes that looked like the forest. Anyways, so the bulletin had a photo of Elizabeth Short, and this is the description underneath. Female. American. 22 years, 5 foot 6 inches, 118 pounds, black hair, green eyes, very attractive, bad lower teeth, fingernails chewed too, too quick. So I think it's kind of rude to put in a police bulletin like, oh yeah, she had bad lower teeth and her fingernails sucked. And like, why would you even put that she's very attractive? You could tell she's very attractive from the photo.
1: I mean, maybe the attractive part is rather subjective and... Misogynistically of that era. Yeah. And wrong, because she was fucking rough as arseholes. Nice. But other than that, it just seems like a description of a person. To me.
0: Okay. And it goes on to say. This subject was found brutally murdered, body severed and mutilated, January 15th, 1946, at 39th and Norton. Do police bulletins use this kind of phrasing these days? Holy cow. According to this bulletin, Elizabeth was actually last seen at the Biltmore Hotel's lobby, not the Cecil. But the rumours that she was spotted at the Cecil still persist to this day. Her murderer was never found, and he probably will never be.
1: On 22nd October 1954, Helen Gurney, who was registered at the hotel under Margaret Brown, jumped from the window of her room after staying at the hotel for a week. Alan was 55 years old and had been staying in room 704. She was from San Diego and an employee at a stationery firm. She landed on the hotel's marquee. Some witnesses to her death had to be taken to hospital because the death was so gruesome that it made a few people hysterical. So, correct me if I'm wrong, Autumn, but this is the first of these deaths where the room number was mentioned. So we're supposing here that perhaps there's some evil force surrounding the Cecil Hotel But I wonder if there are specific rooms where this shit consistently went down. Like, do we know if there are any rooms that were common to these events?
0: So I got most of this information from old newspaper articles from that time. Most of the newspaper articles only mentioned what floor they jumped from or what floor they were on. They never really mentioned a specific room number until Mrs. Helen Gurney died.
1: Interesting. Is there a room 666?
0: I doubt it. That's not how... Room numbers work in hotels. What? They don't go up that far, Dan. This is room 704, dude. Seven because it's the seventh floor and it's the fourth room.
1: So there was a sixth floor?
0: There's not a 66th room on the sixth floor, Daniel.
1: There might be often. 11th February, 1962.
0: 19. Fuck off. Julia Francis Moore, 50, jumped from the window of her room. She had been staying at the Cecil for five days. She left no note, and police found a bus ticket from St. Louis and a bank book showing a balance of about $1,800 in her possessions. They found 59 cents in her purse, though, and the bank book was from Springfield, Illinois. She also had two different houses in the St. Louis area. I just found it odd that the information we found on the specific victim was so financially specific. This was what they released in the newspaper when she died. Like, why does the public need to know that Julia had 59 cents in her purse when she jumped?
1: Weird. Why is that weird?
0: I don't know, it really doesn't have anything to do with anything.
1: I guess. I mean, she could have had anything in her pockets, and typically you say what people had on them when they died, don't you? I don't know.
0: Uh Maybe in 1962 that's just how they did the journalisms.
1: Yeah, or maybe the reporter had dyscalculia and he thought it said 69 and he just thought it was really funny. <laughs> October 12th, 1962, after an argument with her estranged husband, Pauline Otten, 27, jumped from the window of her hotel room. She landed on a pedestrian, George Gianini, 65. They were both killed. Police originally thought that the pair had jumped together but after finding George's shoes were still on and his hands were in his pockets, the truth was figured out.
0: So wait, if you jump from a certain height, do your shoes fly off?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Only once you reach terminal velocity, Autumn.
0: (laughs) Can you not just jump with your hands in your pockets and keep them in there? So many questions.
1: I don't know. If you just fall all the way down with your hands in your pockets, that's some really confident casual suicide right there. (laughs) And also when you hit the ground you would assume that hands would come out of pockets.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And shoes might fly off once you hit the ground too, I guess. Ping, 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 ping. <laughs> Anyways, in 1964, a retired telemarketer named Pigeon Goldie Osgood, who had been a well-known and well-liked long-term resident at the hotel, was found dead in her room. She had been raped, stabbed, beaten, and strangled to death with a hand towel.
1: I have to say, when I read the script, I read she had been beaten to death with a hand towel, and I was both intrigued and impressed in equal measure.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that is impressive.
1: Wait, though, if we think about it, because in my mind, I kind of, like, assumed it was just kind of bunched up and beaten, like, boom, boom, boom. But what if you, like, twisted it up and whipped it like you do, like when you do it in the shower? Maybe she just got repeatedly to like towel whipped in the face until no. she just died
0: no she was beaten with fists and strangled with the towel dad
1: Oh okay
0: yeah it's very confusing I know
1: yeah I, I still like the the beaten to death of the towel idea yeah we'll just go with that I mean not that I like it like it you know not that I want to engage wanna, in this yeah, act no although maybe you know if
0: okay all right if you wrong me <laughs> if you wrong me <laughs> so pigeon Goldie
1: towel murder victim
0: had been living in the hotel for six
1: years. Six years!
0: She earned her name because she would often feed the pigeons down in Pershing Square. There had been another two women murdered in the same area around this time, and one of the women also had a love for birds. Their murders remain unsolved to this day. I mean, had I been a detective in 1964 LA, I would have just put some patrols on the pigeon-feeding parks and been on the lookout for a creep checking out old ladies.
1: I mean, it was set a little earlier, but if you would just go ahead and finish L.A. Noir, you totally could be a detective in oldie time L.A. And you could investigate the Black Dahlia murder too.
0: Oh yeah, I forgot I was playing that game.
1: You were. Anywho, 20th December 1975. A woman staying in the hotel under the alias Alison Lowell jumped from her window. I guess that's as interesting as that one was, because that's all we have on it. However, far more interestingly...
0: In the 1980s, the hotel was the temporary residence of serial killer Richard Ramirez, nicknamed the Night Stalker. Ramirez was a regular presence in the Skid Row area of Los Angeles, and according to a hotel clerk, Ramirez had stayed at the Cecil for a few weeks. Ramirez engaged in most of, if not all, of his killing spree while staying there. Serial killer Jack Untwiger stayed in the hotel in 1991, and whilst there, he killed three LA based sex workers. This dude was from Austria, and he murdered internationally. He killed in Austria, West Germany, Czechoslovakia, and the US. He was convicted of his first murder in 1974 and was sent to prison. While there, he began to write. He wrote short stories, poems, plays, and ultimately wrote an autobiography called Purgatory, or The Trip to Prison, Report of a Guilty Man. And this got the Austrian literary elite's attention, and they campaigned to have Jack released from prison. And he was. In 1990, he was released on parole.
1: So wait, he was just released on parole, or he was actually released due to the request from Austria?
0: Yes, the Austrian literary elites were like, "Oh, this guy is wonderful he writes beautiful stories and obviously he's never gonna kill again. please just let him out."
1: Wow, those are some creepy sounding Austrian literary elites and that's
0: exactly what Austrians sound like
1: it is yeah, nothing like Arnold Schwarzenegger no no just just like that yeah
0: <laughs> oh my God I won't go into too much else here about this guy. For like two years, he was a celebrity in Austria. His children's stories were being performed on the radio. Good God. That's right. He wrote children's stories. And we tried to find them, but had no luck. If anyone can get a copy of one of his children's stories, please let us know. Jack even landed a job as a reporter for the public broadcaster ORF where he reported on his own murders. Wow. Because, yeah, he started killing again as soon as he got out. He ended up killing like 15 women, every single one using the exact same M.O. as the first killing that landed him in prison, strangling them with their own bras. So wait,
1: what the fuck? That is fucking legendary. Why have we not done an episode on this dude? We can't now, he spoiled the ending.
0: I didn't really want to do an episode about this guy. I've heard quite a lot about him. But, I mean, we can, but we'll have to wait, like, 20 or 30 episodes so people forget about this spoiler.
1: But God, man. Like, he gets out and he gets a job as a reporter and just starts reporting on his own murders. Yeah. Like, either that's really smart, like, it's going to throw them off the scent, or that's really fucking dumb, and I guess the latter proved <laughs> to be the case.
0: Exactly. Exactly.
1: And then everything was quiet at the Cecil Hotel for a couple of decades. Which is weird to me. But then again, probably not. The 80s and 90s are probably around the time the US government was pumping crack into all these types of neighbourhoods. So the less attention the media brought to them, the better. Right?
0: That's a good uh, theory, Daniel. Proud of you.
1: You like my theory? I
0: love your theory.
1: Proud? Yes. Proud?
0: Proud. Proud. And then 2014 happened. This is when Elisa Lam went missing. I wanted to do a whole episode about Elisa Lam, but there are plenty of documentaries out there and already like 50 other podcasts about her. Her case really shone a light on the Cecil Hotel itself, though, so I'm going to give you a quick rundown. And if you are currently watching the Netflix special on the case, then skip this part because SPOILERS!
1: SPOILERS!
0: On February 19th, 2013, Elisa Lamb's body was found in a large water tank on top of the Cecil Hotel. She was last seen alive on January 31st. This means that her body was in the hotel's water tank for 19 days. What happens to a body when it is in water for 19 days? A lot of things factor in, like the temperature of the water and such, but let's break it down real quick here.
1: Really, Autumn? We're gonna break it down, are we? Like Elisa's tender young body.
0: Yeah, gross. Sorry about that. But yeah, bodies do typically take a bit longer to decompose while in water due to the cooler temperature. But the skin will start to wrinkle and bloat after just a few days in the water. At this point, the skin will start to peel away from the body. Then the juices begin to leak out. Juices. Into the water tank of the hotel. The water that was used for bathing and cooking and maybe even some people drank it straight from the tap.
1: I mean, I would assume this happened plenty, yes. Not exactly the type of Elisa juice some might hope to have ingested. That said, it sounds like this was just an automated munch dispenser, so kind of convenient for some. No!
0: <laughs> Why does your deal with the fucking munch, dude?
1: I don't know, but like this way you don't even need to bring a partner along. It's just right there on tap for you. Oh my god. Delicious, delicious Elisa munch. No. Mmm, stinky. Oh my god.
0: Somebody fire this guy. He's fucking gross. Anyways, so Elisa was a tourist from Canada and was traveling alone. She was diagnosed with bipolar and depression and was on medication for these illnesses.
1: Oh man, medication makes your munch taste gross.
0: Stop. Gross. She was an avid blogger and used Tumblr as her virtual diary. The last known footage of Elisa was of her in an elevator randomly pushing buttons and acting as if someone was outside of the elevator in the hallway. Conspiracy theorists think that she was playing the elevator game and this led to her demise. She was not, in fact, playing the elevator game. You can see it clearly in the video. She did not press the correct sequence of the buttons that would allow
1: for the game to work. The fuck is the elevator game?
0: So, I really like it. Um, The elevator game originated in Korea and is said to give the player access to another world. The player follows a certain set of rules that supposedly opens up a gateway to another dimension.
1: Another dimension, another dimension, another dimension.
0: Oh, that's Beastie Boys. Now you don't tell me be- Oh, God, I, I don't know it.
1: That's...
0: I stir fry you in my walk. Is that song?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> it's, it's what song, Autumn?
0: Uh, I stir fry you in my walk. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so, um, yeah, the elevator game. I want to play it even though I know it's horse shit youtubers have tried it and failed shocking but i still want to play it i mean i wanted to go to another dimension so bad and just fucking stay there anyways nobody seems to know how elisa ended up in that water tank there are theories but go check out the documentaries on this case it's an interesting one
1: did they find any drugs in her system other than like the antidepressants and stuff that they knew she was on or was her body too far broken down to tell because it sounds to me like she was tripping some major bars and fell in.
0: From what I recall of the story, I think she had skipped taking some of her medication, like some of her antipsychotics, but I don't really remember. I'd have to go back and watch it again.
1: Antipsychotics? So she wasn't just bipolar and depressed. She was potentially, in the nicest possible way, about an unfortunate death of a girl. batshit fucking crazy. So if she skipped those, it's entirely likely that she just... Went up there and, you know, looked in the water tank and fell on in or even intentionally dove in.
0: I mean, we could talk about this all day because there's... Uh, so the way to access the water tank was really hard to get to it unless you were, like, a maintenance guy who knew, like, how to get in it. It was like you had to pull down this metal ladder and it was, like, behind this giant metal, like... trapdoor trapdoor thing. Like, it was ridiculous.
1: Yeah, I, I remember parts of the documentary now, but, um, I mean... Similarly, if it's that hard to access to to get yourself in, arguably it would be even more difficult for somebody to throw somebody into, right? But yeah, yeah. anyway, we digress because that's not why we are here today. So,
0: R.I.P. Elisa. Are you going to read the last one?
1: Oh, yeah. And then lastly, in June of 2015, a man jumped from a window of the Cecil and his name has not been released to the public. You know, just to end it on a super interesting highlight here. (laughs)
0: And that's it. That's all we got on the Cecil Hotel. Why was it such a prominent place for suicides and murders for so long? And why, since 2015, have such occurrences seemed to have stopped? The world may never know.
1: The world may never know.
0: But keep an eye on this property. The deaths might be in a cooling down period. You know, how some serial killers have cooling down phases in between murders? Maybe the building has had enough for now. It's all full up of blood and carnage.
1: It has reaped sufficient souls for now. I'm a murder hotel. Murder hotel. (laughs) My name's Cecil and I'm a murder hotel. (laughs) Pip pip. Or alternatively, my name's Cecil and I'm a murder hotel. Yeehaw. Yeehaw.
0: And now it's time for my favorite segment of the show, Roll for Podcasts, where Dan rolls a d20 to determine what the next episode will be. Roll it, Dan. So we rolled a three. That means the next episode's gonna be about the freemasons if you don't know about the freemasons we've talked about them previously briefly in other episodes and i'm really excited about this one because it's gonna be a doozy sorry what a doozy one more time a doozy
1: don't you mean a doozy yeah (laughs) oh okay understood (laughs) well yeah tune in next time to hear about the freemasons folks hope you all had fun we did they were margaritas and before we roll the end credits we are proud to announce that Seven Circles is now also available on Apple Podcast
0: thank you for listening we appreciate you
1: if you like us you can come support us on Patreon at Seven Circles Pod
0: we are an indie podcast and without your support we would not be able to do this thing that we love
1: everything was written produced, edited and mixed by us Autumn and Dan
0: Thanks to Caroline Gates for the artwork and Null Machine for the music.
1: If you have anything to say to us about this episode, please come say hi to us on the social medias.
0: We are currently on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Just search for Seven Circles Podcast. That's the number seven, not the word, plus circles like the shapes.
1: Numbers and shapes.
0: Numbers and shapes. Numbers and shapes. Purple triangles. Eighteen in life, you
1: got it. Eighteen in life, you know. Your crime is time
0: and it's eighteen in life to go. Eighteen in life, you got it. Eighteen in life,
1: you know. Your crime is time
0: and it's eighteen in life to go. Go.
1: We should probably start doing songs that we know.
0: Song, I listened to it in like 1992, like a bunch of times.
1: Oh, that was you knowing the song? Yeah, oh, it's been a while, <laughs> yeah. It's
0: been a while.
1: <laughs> Cheers, our glasses are banging. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: oh, wait, 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 wait! bang, bang, shoot them up. The party never ends. <laughs> You can't think of dying when the bottle's your best friend. And, and now it's
1: 18 and life, you got it.
0: 18 and life, no.
1: Your crime is time and, and it's
0: 18 and life to go.
1: 18 and life, you got it. Okay. <laughs> Come on, man. I finally got the tune down. Uh, and now you're going it. to stop. It's fine.
0: It's Good fine.
1: fucking God. <laughs>
0: We've harassed... Who
1: the fuck is Ricky anyway?
0: We've harassed the listeners enough. Goodbye, everybody. Have a nice week. We'll see you next week.
1: Goodbye. And now, before we end, enjoy some of Autumn's throat sounds. So, supposing that perhaps there's some evil force surrounding the so seas- Fuck off, it's Cecil, you cunt.
0: <laughs> you got
1: Tourette's. Mmm, stinky. I still fry you in my wok.